morning, church. You know, watching the news, we're told that we have never lived in an age where there's been more anxiety in society. If you watch the news media, they say our children are just struggling because there's so much anxiety. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on that may produce that anxiety. Uh, but if you do remember, Pastor John last week started us off in our study in the last days. And today we continue that study. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've always had a very big interest in the last days. In fact, one of the ways I came to salvation was through Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, where he talked about the unfolding of the future and the last days in light of Jesus Christ's return. So it, ha it has a very important place in my heart and my conversion. Um, when Pastor John asked me to preach this morning on the rapture, as you can see there, I got all excited in it, but I went down a wrong path, church, I got to tell you. And let me tell you why. You don't need to be able to see these headlines here, but I just put them up here because this is the path I was going to go down. Because it's really interesting what's going on in the world today. Would you agree? If you look up here in this corner, the WPF, the World Food Program, they tell us that 2023 could be the, one of the worst years for famine that we've experienced in a century. Africa could be devastated by famine. Part of this is because of the shipments not coming out of the Ukraine, one of the largest grain producers in the world, also out of Russia. Half of the shipments have been blocked or didn't get out in time. Uh, with fertilizer prices going through the roof, a lot of American farmers either even have given up and said we can't afford to work the land anymore. So one of the things that may be causing anxiety is there's food crisis in the land, and that's difficult to deal with. But there are other crises, right? Look over here. American evangelicals increasingly confused about core Bible truths. Now, this was a survey that polled evangelical Christians who believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and washed them clean, and that's how they themselves get to heaven. So we would agree with that. But these same people also said the Bible's not 100% the Word of God. They also said there are other paths to salvation. And they said prophecy really doesn't play a role in their lives. The falling away, a little bit of the falling away there, right? But I think we know that it's true as we see church attendance dropping, as we see people more worshiping from home and not being part of fellowship, we see that people are drawing themselves away from the church. We see down here, SWIFT sets out a blueprint for central bank digital currency network. SWIFT is an international way in which countries send money to each other and do trade. Right now, they're working on putting together a digital currency that will be able to track everything that any country does as far as buying or selling. And our own president, Joe Biden, recently signed an executive order that says, Federal Reserve and Treasury, you investigate how we can implement a digital currency in the United States in the coming decade or sooner. And they say, well, that's so we can prevent fraud and we can track drug deals and we can do all these things. But indeed, it's so that they can attract, attract they can follow and track everything that you spend money on. Every penny. And you know, it's not hard to shut something electronic down, is it? So to have the power of who can buy and sell is something that the U.S. government is currently working on as we speak, and so indeed is the world. This one is also pretty interesting. China's social credit system ranks citizens and punish them with throttled internet speeds and flight bans if the Communist Party deems them untrustworthy. I don't know if you know what's going on in Communist China right now, but they are literally, they have a system in place, mostly in the cities, 
where they score their citizens, give them a rating, a score. And if your rating is low, meaning you don't comply with the government mandates and dictates, your rights as a citizen are limited. Your internet speed is slowed down. You can't travel on certain trains. You can't have certain jobs. You can't live in certain apartment buildings or in certain housing because your score is something that the government deems as dangerous. In the cities of China right now, there, are, there is one camera for every two citizens. There's one camera watching every two citizens. And they hope to get to the point where that's a two-to-one ratio of two cameras for every citizen. Yeah, I know. So, exciting. But have you ever heard of ESG scores? Economic, social, governmental scores, which are now being studied and introduced into the United States. These are scores that companies, such as Google, Microsoft, Amazon, will get by the federal government and it will rate them as companies as to how much they comply with economic issues, social issues, and governmental issues. And if you comply with the government, you get a high score. If you disagree with the government, you get a low score. Soon, after that's implemented, the goal is to roll that out to individuals. You will have your own ESG score, much like China. You will be tracked, and you will be rated, and you will be ranked. And folks, with the way the government is going today, I don't think I would agree with a lot of things they're initiating, so I think my score would be pretty low. How do you like this headline? Biden warns world would face Armageddon if Putin, use, Putin uses a tactical nuclear weapon in the Ukraine. He just said this a couple days ago. Folks, do you know if there's a nuclear war, that's pretty much it? I mean, I think we know that, right? Do you know what? We have a lot of folks in the military here. We have a lot of folks in the Air Force. I was just talking to a couple of them in my Sunday school class. We are literally, as you know, flying military equipment to the Ukraine for the Ukrainians to fight the Russian invasion. And they're doing a darn good job, but we are literally at the precipice of war. I mean, that is war when our military, uh, tons of our military equipment is being used to actually beat the Soviet Union. Do you think Vladimir Putin's going to say, okay, I give up? <laughs> he doesn't think that way. His desire is to bring back the greatness of the Soviet Union, which some of you in this room don't even know what that means. He wants to expand his empire and take back all the Eastern European countries that once were part of his great Soviet empire. And that rat is backed into a corner. These are dangerous times, folks. These are times of anxiety. But I could spend days digging into each of these, going over each of these. But that's not what we look to as Christians. This increases anxiety. But there's something, Christians, that we have to look forward to that diminishes anxiety and actually takes it away. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on the rapture, the blessed hope. What is this? The blessed hope is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church, for you and for me, for those of us who believe that he is the Messiah, the Savior of mankind, and we placed our faith in him, Jesus Christ is returning for us and will take us up into the air, and we will meet him there in the air and be with him forever. That is the blessed hope. Now, I have to tell you, we are supposed to look at the signs of the times, aren't we? Jesus was angry with the Jews when he came 
The first time, he said, you should know the signs of the times. You should know the hour of your visitation, but you don't know that hour. And Jesus was angry with them for that because they only saw one coming church. They saw Jesus coming as a conquering king, and they mistook that as his just throwing off the fetters of Rome and establishing his empire and, and where Jews were, were the nation that God would put in charge of everything, they missed the fact that he had to come as the suffering servant, as the Lamb of God. But they should have known the time of his coming, and they didn't. Church, we need to be aware that Jesus Christ could come at any time, and there's nothing preventing him from coming at any time. Brothers and sisters, Paul said, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, those who have died, who have passed on, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, according to the Lord's word. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul is writing this to the church of Thessalonica, and he's saying, yes, you've had some brothers and sisters pass away through persecution, but don't worry about that, because when the Lord comes and we are still alive, he will raise those from the dead who have passed away, and he will raise us up. He will actually raise them first, their bodies first, and we will be with him together in the Lord. An important thing to point out here, church, is Paul fully believed that he would be alive when Jesus Christ returned. He says, those of us who are still alive and meet him in the air. How else do we know that Paul had this belief? Well, Paul had this belief because he actually said in the book of, in the, in the letter to the Corinthians that, hey, I would, I would advise you not even to get married because the Lord's return is coming soon. I'd rather you work hard and don't be stuck with the burden of a wife. <laughs> not a burden, not a burden, pointing that out to everybody who's listening. But Paul said to his people who were listening, it's better that you strive for the kingdom of God because the return of Christ is at hand. Brother Paul was wrong. Christ didn't come. It's been 2,000 years. And the Bible addresses this, and we're going to get there. But church, we are closer, as Pastor John said, to the return of Christ for his church than any generation has ever been. And there's one unique thing about our generation because they thought that Jesus Christ was going to return when World War II occurred. There were all sorts of books written that Jesus' return is right around the corner because there's world war. There's plagues. There's famine. There's, there's nation, battling nation. But you know, Jesus Christ didn't come. Then when World War II came around, many more prophetic books were written that said, Jesus Christ is going to come. Look, there's Hitler. He's the Antichrist. Jesus Christ is going to return in our generation. He didn't come, in case you were wondering. But what do we have that's different now, church? We have Israel gathered back into the land. Ezekiel chapter 37. Jesus Christ has gathered his people Israel into the land. Now they are not saved. It's the valley of dry bones. He first puts them together as a skeleton, then he puts flesh on them, and then in the future... He will blow the breath of his spirit, the breath of life in them, and they will be his once again. 
But right now, we have Israel back in the land. We haven't had that. In fact, I, I wish we could teach. When I went through the book of Revelation some years ago here at the church, I spent a whole session on the miracle of the rebirth of Israel. And you need to read about it. You need to read about the miracle of the rebirth of Israel. It is something phenomenal. It is something that only God could do. And church, not only is that a sign that we are closer to the end and the next world war may be it, do you know how many nuclear weapons there are in this world? Hundreds and thousands of nuclear weapons are in this world. Church, if there's a World War III, there will not be a World War IV. I'm telling you, if there's a World War III, there'll be nothing left for a World War IV. So we're getting closer. Do I know when the rapture is going to be? Do I know when the return of Christ for church is going to be? No, I don't. But Paul says that this is our blessed hope. This is something that we should be looking for. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with him forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. <laughs> you may hear some detractors from the rapture theory say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Well, that's absolutely true because the Bible wasn't written in Latin. The word rapture is a Latin word. It's the translation of the word harpazo, which is Greek for caught up. It's the word rapture in Greek, harpazo. So you say, you don't believe in the rapture, but I believe in the harpazo because that is in the Bible. And the word caught up means that Jesus Christ literally reaches down and plucks us up by the root and brings us up into the sky to meet with him. We are caught up. So those who have died, they will be resurrected first and caught up in the air, and then we will be resurrected as well. Because folks, those who have died are already with the Lord, aren't they? To be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. What he's saying here is they will be resurrected first. Their resurrected bodies will be first, and then we will follow as we meet Christ in the air. So this is our blessed hope. We see all these things going on around us. We're not so concerned about all these things going on in the world because our eyes are focused on Christ plucking us out of this world and bringing us to his place that he's prepared for us. Now, this is something also you don't have to be able to see. I know lots of slides you don't have to see. So why put them in? Because I wanted to. <laughs> so here we are, the church age. What I want to point out is this is the harpazo. This is the rapture. This is the catching away. What I want to focus on here is after the catching away, there's something called the tribulation, which occurs for seven years. Many of you are familiar with this. Many of you read books about this. But there's a, a time, a seven-year period called the tribulation. What is this? It's after the rapture. Not immediately. We don't know exactly how long after the rapture, but probably pretty close, but we don't know exactly when. The tribulation is when God turns his attention back to Israel. What do I mean by that? If you look at Daniel, Daniel's Daniel 70 weeks, which is another sermon in itself, for 69 weeks, God would deal with Israel. 69 weeks of years, 69 times 7. I, I, I shouldn't even bring it up. God will deal with Israel. God dealt with Israel until they rejected the Messiah. What happened after Israel rejected the Messiah? Jesus Christ said, okay, I'm going to turn away from Israel for now, and I'm going to build my church. I will build my church, which will include Gentiles and Jews, but I'm turning away from the nation of Israel. He will, at the end of the church age, after we are raptured, turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. This is called the tribulation period or the time of Jacob's trouble. Seven years. 
That's important to remember. Very important to remember as we move forward. Because I need to ask this question. Why will we be raptured? Why will church age believers be raptured? You are in the church age. God dealt with Israel. Gentiles could be saved when God dealt with Israel. But now God has turned to the Gentiles because Israel rejected him. And now he's dealing with the church, you and I. He will come back for the church and then he will turn his attention back to Israel for seven years. But why does he remove the church? Why does he take us up Harpazo to meet him in the air? Revelation 3.10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Jesus is going to come back for the church before the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth. How do I know that's unique from other trials? Well, didn't Jesus tell us that in this world you and I would have trials and tribulations? Yeah, there's probably some of you right now going through trials and tribulations. So he never promised to keep us from those, did he? He, in fact, said that we would have those. But he's promising here to keep us from something unique. There's some trial, an hour of trial, that's going to come upon the whole world that he is going to keep the church from. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, but Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from the idols to serve uh, the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Well, you might say, well, that's the wrath of hell. That's the wrath that we get from our sin. Well, no, he's talking about the future. He's talking about something in particular that Jesus is going to save us from. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What wrath is he talking about? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord comes like a thief. A lot of things here to unpack and very interesting. The day of the Lord comes like a thief. What is this day? Why is it called the time of Jacob's trouble? Why is it called a time of tribulation? Because it's a time of God's wrath upon this world. It's a time of God's wrath upon Israel that causes a remnant of Israel to return to him in faith. It's a time, if you've read the book of Revelation, where God opens the seals, where he blows the trumpet, where he pours out the bowls. All of this is his wrath that he pours out during the seven-year period on the earth. This is called the day of the Lord because it's the day of his wrath. But the Bible tells us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and we should be ready for it. But God did not appoint us to suffer the wrath of God. That's important, church. 
We're not only saved from his wrath by him saving us from hell and preparing us from heaven, but we're going to be saved from the time of Jacob's trouble, from the tribulation period where God pours out his wrath on mankind because God did not appoint the church to wrath. Now, this is important. Have you ever wondered about this phrase here where it says, while people were saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly? God tells us here in this scripture that we should be ready, we should see the signs, we should look around, we should be people of the light, we shouldn't be in darkness, we shouldn't be blindsided by the coming of the Lord, even though we don't know the exact day, we should always be ready for it, we should always expect it, but when he comes for the church, they will be saying peace and safety. How can that possibly be? Church, is the world saying peace and safety right now? Is it? We just talked about wars, famine, pestilence. We just went through a pandemic. There has never been a time when the world has cried out peace and safety from war, famine, or epidemics, or pestilence, or things like that. What does this mean that the world will be saying peace and safety, and then sudden destruction will come upon them? What does this mean? It doesn't mean that war will cease before the Messiah comes. What did Pastor John tell us last week? It's like birth pains. War will increase. Until finally, Armageddon culminates in Armageddon. Turn with me if you will. I don't have this on the slide, but if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we'll start in verse 3. And remember, Peter here is talking about the day of the Lord. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, now the last days started with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and have been continuing since that time. They are the last days. They go up to the time when Jesus Christ returns at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. People will be out there following their own lusts, enjoying themselves, despite what's going on around them in the world, much like we do today, and saying, where is the promise of his coming For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the creation of the earth. People will begin to doubt that God will ever come back. People will begin to doubt that Jesus Christ will ever, ever return. I just showed you an article where evangelical Christians could care less about prophecy in a growing number of percentages, and they don't even concern themselves with the coming of the Lord because that may or might not even happen. (laughs) But the world will say, where is his coming? That doesn't impact me. I have nothing to think about in regards to Jesus Christ coming because I'm busy, I'm busy fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. I'm busy fulfilling everything that I need to do to make myself happy. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. What's he talking about? He's talking about the flood. People were going about their business. Noah said... Rain's going to come. He said, no, it's not. There was violence in the world then. Genesis chapter 6 tells us there was violence. There was corruption. There was nothing good that you can think of going on in world government or world society. There was perversion going on to the extent that God says, your perversion has so filled me up that I have to destroy the world and start over. But what were they doing? What were the citizens of the world doing? They were marrying and giving in marriage. 
They were going about life as though the Lord would never return, as though the Lord would never punish them, as though the day of God's wrath back in the time of Noah would ever come. What did they do to Noah? They mocked him. You're building a boat, huh? There's not a lot of water around here, but that's a nice boat. Who's going to clean up all that mess? They mocked him. For how long, church? Over 100 years. And you know what they were probably thinking? There's, there's nobody coming. There's no God coming. So, Joyce, I point this out, church, because peace and safety, we often think, well, there's going to be a time of peace on earth right before Jesus raptures the church. Absolutely not true. It's peace and safety. The world will think that God is not returning to pour out his wrath on the world, and then he will return. The world will be living in a state of peace and safety in regards to the wrath of God. And then it says, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. Then the wrath of God will be poured out when they're saying peace and safety. And church, we will be taken out of here because we are not destined for wrath. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord... The reason he is going to remove his church before the day of the Lord is because it is this kind of day as recorded in Zephaniah 1.1. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. Who is the mighty warrior in this verse? God himself shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry. That is the day of the Lord that is coming after the church is removed. But the church must be removed because the day of the Lord is the day of the Lord's wrath, a seven-year period where he pours out his wrath because he is angry. The Lord is bitter. There was panic in the church. Oh, no. Paul had taught Thessalonica about the rapture. He taught them about the harpazo. He taught them about the Lord's coming. In the first letter, he said, yeah, remember when I was with you, I taught you that the Lord will come. He'll save us from the trials, from the wrath to come. Don't worry about it. You're going to be removed from the earth. And church, it's not so as some people say, oh, the, the people who believe in the rapture do that because they, they don't want to be here when there's bad things happening. Church, that's not it. That's not it. We believe in the rapture because it is our blessed hope that we are going to go home with the Lord and he is not going to pour out his wrath on us because he loves us and because he promised us that he would not pour out his wrath on us. So we believe him and we take hold of that and say, we believe the word of God that we will not be here during the day of his wrath because what child of God wants to be here and have the wrath of the father poured out on him, something we've been saved from? Amen. Not me. But the Thessalonians got a little nervous. They were persecuted. A lot of them were being killed. A lot of them were having their property taken. A lot of them were starting to starve. A lot of them were dying because of this persecution. So Paul had to send them a second letter and to correct something that was in their brains. And this is what was in their brains. And he says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him that I wrote to you about in the first letter that you not be so quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The Thessalonians thought, oh no, things are bad. The day of the Lord has come. We have missed the harpazo. We have missed the catching up. No one is to deceive you in any way. For it, 
will not come, the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself to be God. Why does Israel have to be back in the land? Because there will be a temple in which the Antichrist stands three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation period and declares himself to be God. But Paul says, brothers, sisters, don't be alarmed. If you were in the tribulation, if you were in the day of the Lord, you would have seen the falling away and you would have seen the Antichrist stand in the middle of the temple. Have you seen those things, brother? No, then be assured that the day of the Lord has not come upon us yet. He cons them down. Don't let anybody fool you. These things must take place. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that he will be revealed in his time. Paul then goes into what restrains the Antichrist from being revealed. You, Thessalonica, you church, know what restrains him now. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only who who now restrains will do so until he is removed. So Paul is telling the church of Thessalonica that there is something restraining the day of the Lord from happening, from the Antichrist being revealed, because he will start the day of the Lord with making a covenant with Israel, a peace covenant with Israel. But there's something preventing that. And until he is removed, the Antichrist will not be revealed. But when the restrainer is removed, the Antichrist will be revealed. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will eliminate with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all deception of wickedness and those who perish because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. Who's the restrainer? Who's holding back this Antichrist? There aren't a lot of options, church. You might want to look around and say, it might be you. It might be you. I'm thinking it's probably the Holy Spirit. What other he is holding back the appearance of the Antichrist? And church, if it is the Holy Spirit, what is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? Again, turn to each other and say, it might be you. It might be you. (laughs) Indeed it is if you're a believer. You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So I tell you this, I give you this little nugget. I didn't give this to the first service. So the word, the apostasy has to come first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed. This word apostasy is an interesting word. It, 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 it just means the moving away or the taking away. So if it's not in conjunction with the apostasy of the faith, it doesn't always mean falling away from the faith. The word apostasy here is just removing or falling from or taking away from or being removed. So there will be an apostasy of faith in the last days where people remove themselves from the truth of God. But if you just go by the straight meaning of the word apostasy, he's saying the day of the Lord, the revealing of the Antichrist won't come until the removal happens. The taking away happens. Church, this is not 100% true, but it's a possibility that he's talking about the rapture. The day of the Lord won't come until the taking away of the church, the removal of the church. Again, that's debated by theologians left and right. We can't sell it here, but it's an interesting point that he makes to the church of Thessalonica. So anyway, the day of the Lord will come. We will be removed before the day of the Lord. The Lord will pull out his wrath. Paul calms the church of Thessalonica and says, this won't happen until you see these things. But church, I remind you that 
The rapture is imminent. The harpazo, the catching away, for keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. We are to be watching. We are to be reading the news. We're not supposed to interpret the Bible by the news, but we're supposed to look at what's going on around us and be ready for his return, always in a state of expectation because it can happen at any time. Church, do I know the date of the, of the rapture? I do not. Neither does the guy that wrote the book. He wrote a book called, in 1988, 1,988 Reasons the Rapture Was Coming in 1988. He updated the book in 1989. And then he updated the third time in 1990. And then he stopped. I don't know when the rapture is coming. But actually, I, technically I do know. The rapture of the church will occur when the last church member joins the church. God is patient. If you read the rest of Peter, he said he's not slow in keeping his promise. He's slow so that everyone who he wants to be saved is saved. So do I know when the rapture is? It's when that last person is saved. Boom. He's done. His waiting is over. I don't know when that day will be. You could be the one in this room who holding us up. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Give your life to the Lord. All right? But it's imminent. Imminent means it could happen at any time. Watch for it. Be aware. Live like it could happen at any time. Live like it could happen at any time. That's a tough one there I won't even get into. What's the difference between the rapture and the second coming? Rapture happens before the tribulation, before the wrath of the Lord is poured out in the world. Second coming happens at the end of that seven-year period. Rapture, no one knows the day or the hour. Second coming, it's three and a half years from the time the Antichrist declares himself to be God in the temple. It's seven years from the time he makes a covenant with Israel. We can pinpoint the day and the hour. Rapture, coming for God's people. Second coming, coming with God's people. Rapture, Jesus meets the church in the air. Second coming, Jesus returns with the church and plants his feet on the Mount of Olives. Rapture, a time of blessing. Second coming, a time of judgment. And we come with him to do that judgment. What happens to us when we're raptured? Church, give me permission to go about 10 minutes long. All right, feel free to leave if you must. If you got something waiting that's hot and good, go ahead and get it. All right, what happens when the church is raptured? So when the Lord calls us home, when he harpazos us, now I say this, brothers and sisters, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on the immortal. When the Lord comes, he will give us our resurrected bodies. First, the dead will rise. Their bodies will be resurrected. Then we who are alive will be receiving our resurrected bodies as we meet the Lord in the air. Amen. But this is even better, church. Read, let's go down to verse 49 in regards to the heavenly bodies. Just as we have borne or worn the image of the earthly, our bodies are the image of earthly fallen man, we will also bear the image of the heavenly we, church, when we are resurrected, when we are harpazoed, when we are taken up, when we are plucked out, before the wrath comes, we will receive our heavenly bodies, and it will be the image of the heavenly. What's the heavenly? 
Jesus. Our bodies will be just like Christ. In Matthew, in the, books of Ma- in the book of Matthew, Jesus said that we will shine like the sun when we receive our resurrected bodies. Interesting thing, it's spelled S-U-N. We will shine with the brilliance of the sun. Just like we did in the garden, we reflect the light and the glory of God. We will do so more at his coming. But wait, there's more. There's also a judgment, church. Can't get around it. But John, there is no judgment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. There's no determining of heaven or hell because you have already been determined you're going to heaven. You're on your way. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can pluck you from his hands. Nothing can harpazo you from his hands. Hey, there you go. But when we are resurrected, when we are caught up, therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are present from the, we are, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, but we are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat, bima, that's the word bima, judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. Church, listen to this. You will stand before Jesus Christ and he will judge what you've done with the abundant life that he has given you. You have been given something that's precious and something that costs an enormous amount. Can we agree? The shed blood of Christ was an enormous payment to buy what you have. So Jesus Christ doesn't just expect visitors on Sunday. He's not a prisoner. He expects you to live for him every day and to do good. And when you stand before him at the Bema seat, at the judgment seat, he will say, what did you do with the gift I gave you? And you will say, well, I planned to do something when my kids grew up. I planned to do something when my finances were better. I planned to do something when I was less worried about my career. And then I died. Or you came. I'm sorry, I just always put it off. Church, you will stand before your God. And you will see the nail holes in his wrists. And he will say, what did you do with the purchase price that I paid for you? Don't be prepared to stand there and say, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Let him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we have to look for, church. Yes, you will still get into heaven. But who wants to get into heaven by the skin of their teeth when you have such a wonderful gift as life and life more abundantly? Not me, church. I I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. All right, church, marriage of the Lamb. We're getting close to the end here, but I want to bring this to your attention. John chapter 14. We went through John chapter 14. And this is another good evidence for the rapture of the church being before the tribulation. I told you that John was full of analogies about theology. And this is another one where John was full of theology about theology. Full of analogy about theology. John talks about, let's just read it. John 14, 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms, not mansions. That's a poor interpretation. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to build onto the Father's house a room for you. If that were not so, I would have told you because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you will be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an analogy of the rapture and the being taken home to be with Christ. Church, what are we called? We are the bride of Christ, right? The church is the bride of Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 5. Read the book of Revelation. We are the bride of Christ. That is what we are called. That is what we are known as. <coughs> I want to, before you read ahead, this is an analogy of the Jewish wedding traditions that occurred back during Jesus Christ's time, and they also are analogous to the end times. And I want to walk through this and tell you what I mean by that. Don't let your heart be troubled because I'm coming for you, and I have a, I have a room. I'm going away to build a room for you, and I will return and bring you to that room one day. Amen. Get that? All right, now let's go over quickly the Jewish wedding tradition. The, the son, he lived over here in dad's house. He would say, dad, man, man, I like that one over there. She's, she's something I really would like to marry. So the son goes over to the girl's father, and he actually has to buy her. It, it, it wasn't just a dowry. It was he actually were purchasing the bride from the father. What's that analogous of? Jesus Christ coming from the father, purchasing his Bride, right? All right, then the groom, sorry if you're videotaping this, the groom would go back to the father's house and build a room for them to spend life together in. Now, he would do that for about a year. So Jesus went, what, to build us a room. So he purchased us. He's going to build us a room. The groom purchased the bride. He's going to build her a room. One year later... This was the tradition, don't blame me. The groom would return to the bride at an unknown day around midnight. So it would be about a year later, the groom, having worked on the room that was part of the family's house, would about a year later make his way at midnight to the girl's home. They were betrothed. He would leave his father's house. His friends would accompany him. They'd have torches, and they'd be making their way through town, making a loud, joyous noise. The townspeople would hear the noise, and they would all come out. And like a trumpet, they would come out of the house as the procession went by, and they would say, behold, here comes the bridegroom. And it would sound like a trumpet. Behold, here comes the bridegroom. The groom would take the bride to his house. There would be a great celebration, a wedding feast. Church, they would spend seven days having that wedding feast, consummating the marriage and celebrating. Jesus Christ comes, takes the church. And what does Revelation tell us? He takes us to the wedding feast. That's what it tells us. For seven days, they would celebrate. For seven years, we will be in heaven with the Lord celebrating. And at the end of that seven years, we come back with our groom and we judge the world. This is phenomenally true because look what Revelation says. Let's rejoice and be glad and give glory to him because the marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride, 
that's you, has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, church, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, you will be with me forever. I go to the Father's house to build a room for you. Blessed are you if you are my bride. Blessed are you if I come for you with the sound of a trumpet and pluck you up from this earth and take you to the wedding feast to spend eternity with me. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Who's invited, church? Everybody's invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the only thing holding up the start of that festivity is what? Whoever in this room needs to be saved. (laughs) Whoever in this room needs, you're holding us up. We got some good celebrating to do. So I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you this morning. If you want to be part of this wedding feast, if you want to be caught up with the Lord, if you want to be resurrected, if you want to shine like the sun, if you want to sit at the banquet table and gaze upon Jesus Christ, give your life to him. Pray with me, will you? Father, I pray for those who have not surrendered themselves to you this morning. I pray for those, Lord, who in their hearts know that they want to be part of this great feast, this great coming of the groom for his bride. They want to participate in an eternity of abundant life with you in heaven. Father, they want to see the room that you prepared for them. 